What is happening, everyone? Along with Will Brewer, I am Colby Daniels. Holy cow, do we have a lot to talk about. UFC 280 on Saturday, absolutely delivered. So much fallout from that, on top of the fact that big, possibly big breaking news today that uh, may or may not involve uh, Will's favorite fighter of all time. So we will get to that. Will Brewer, how are you today, my friend? Man, I'm still coming down from 280, man. It was a pretty solid card. Like you said, we got a lot to talk about. Um, let's get into it, man. I'm ready. So I was so geeked about that card. I, I thought it was awesome. Um, I ended up watching some of it back later. Uh, like after college football ended on Saturday night, I went back and watched some of it again uh, just because like I had so much to process, right? This card gave us so much to process, especially to close this thing out. And we've obviously got to start with the main event. Islam Mahashev and new 155 champion in dominant fashion. Will, um, it was his night as Charles Oliveira said in his post fight press conference, it was just his night. And I, I think if I have any takeaway here, it's that all the, all the stuff we heard about Islam being a much better striker than Khabib, but we really had nothing to base that on, right? Like, Sometimes coaches just say that stuff, and, and we never know whether they're telling the truth or not. It all seems like it's true because he looked really good in that regard on Saturday. That was the one element where um, I, I thought he absolutely outshined any expectation that any of us could have had for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you when you add that aspect, the striking and everything, um, I think that just adds a whole new dynamic to the entire fight because when you break down the fight originally, you think, okay, Charles clearly has the... Uh, striking advantage, uh, the power advantage, all that stuff. Uh, you thought that the the grappling would be where Islam would dominate, but um, I had a couple of takeaways. Uh, one, I did really think that Islam's striking looked uh, it looked vastly improved. It, he didn't look afraid to uh, engage. Uh, he looked comfortable uh, in that in such a big fight. Uh, I mean, he he just looked like he was prepared and ready for the moment, uh, and also. Charles, man, I feel like the the war is kind of caught up to him because while Islam's uh, striking looked improved and the shots looked clean and everything, I you know I, I feel like in a few uh, fights before maybe Charles takes those a little bit better than he took those on that night. I think that the war is finally caught up to him, and then and then once Charles was hurt, unlike when Chandler hurt him, unlike when Poirier hurt him, unlike when Gaethje hurt him, Islam is going down there to finish him unlike the rest of those guys. He was not scared. Like he said, he was not going to be. He was not scared and, and being uh, in Charles's guard or going down um, and finishing the fight. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Islam, man, I, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, if, to, to finish Charles like that, like I had a feeling it could go that way. Uh, not the striking aspect, but more so the grappling would overpower Charles. But once the striking came into the equation, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. This dude is special. He might be champion for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I didn't expect that that opportunity was going to be there for him to hurt Charles and be able to capitalize on it, right, in that way. Because to your point, and I don't know, like, for me, I, I didn't think, like, the wars had accumulated on Charles because we saw we saw Chandler drop him, right? Poirier hurt him how many times in that fight? Gaethje dropped him, what, twice in the first round? We know that that he can be dropped, but those are all world-class strikers, right? Islam is a world-class grappler, but but based on everything we had seen to this point, nothing suggested that he was even going to have the opportunity to beat Charles in, in that realm at all. So, I mean, 
I, I wasn't surprised that when he did connect that he dropped him uh, because we've seen that from Charles over and over and over. It was just the fact that he was sharp enough in that way to, to get the shot in there. And I, like, I thought Charles would have a major advantage in the standup. Uh, and that, that obviously wasn't the case. I don't know how much of that was maybe Charles also um, maybe not respecting Islam standup as much as, as he should have. Or, you know, like we see with most grapplers, like sometimes you're so worried about the takedown that it allows them to look better in the striking. But that was the best that Islam has looked. And, um, you know, once he hurt him, you know, he was he was always going to take advantage in the way that Gaethje and, and Poirier and, and Chandler certainly couldn't. Um, his ground game is, is just on another level. Um, man, at first, I just want the run that Charles Oliveira was on um, absolutely deserves to be praised for a moment uh, because I know he he didn't weigh in last time on weight and didn't officially beat Gaethje for the belt. But, you know, those last three fights, especially on those stages against those guys, like all three of those fights were as entertaining as any fight we've seen in the UFC over the over that same time period, right? Like he has given incredible performances. Uh, and, you know, I, the, the quit button thing that everybody wants to go to so often, like I'm sure that that's going to become a conversation with him again because of what happened. I don't know that I'm there. It's to me, this was more about Islam and how good he was in the striking department and being able to capitalize when he did drop Charles, uh, that, uh, you know, I, I, I tend to look at this fight more in the way where I just, I give a lot of credit to Islam and what he was able to accomplish here. And now you get ready to look at a lightweight division where, you know, obviously Khabib had an incredible run, a dominant run. Um, we could be, I mean, this could be the beginning will of a very long title run, for a guy that is the boogeyman of the division, right? The boogeyman now has the strap in the lightweight division, Islam Mahashev. Yeah, it's 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 scary for the rest of the division, but um, the good thing about Islam being the new champion, I mean, he hasn't fought a lot of these guys, or most of these ranked guys. Uh, I mean, outside of Sarukian, uh, and I mean, he fought Moises, who's like in and out of the rankings. He's fought Bobby Green, who's not in the rankings. So, I mean, there's a lot of fresh matchups. I mean, Poirier, Gaethje, Chandler, they're all, like, back in contention, you know, of getting uh, a title shot soon with some good performances. Uh, Rafael Vaziv, uh, that's a great matchup. And then, of course, we're going to talk about uh, Benil Darius, but that's a that's yeah. still, especially after seeing what we saw Saturday, that matchup is, is very much more intriguing to me. And then now, of course, you see um, what potentially is next. So, I mean, there's a lot of good matchups for Islam, and it's not going to be hard to to make him a star because uh, he's got the Khabib factor in there, but then also the matchups. I mean, like you said, this lightweight division is a, is a superstar, glamour-type division, and then not only that, but the prospects that are coming up, I mean, the fights itself are just going to be outstanding. So uh, there's, there, this, this title reign for Islam, it's going to be difficult, but, I mean, for a guy like him, he might make it look easy. But there's going to be challenge after challenge. There's no shortage uh, of challenges out there for Islam. So um, we'll see how he handles it. There's two challenges out there in the lightweight division, not counting the Volk situation, which we'll talk about in a moment. But there's two challenges out there that I think are head and shoulders above any other challenge in the division. And they don't include the three names that you mentioned, Poirier, Gaethje, and Chandler. So we'll get to that in a moment. But Islam goes from... Not being ranked in the pound-for-pound pound rankings, he's now number three. It goes Volk one, Izzy two, now Islam Mahashev three. And Dana said in the post-fight press conference, Alexander Volkanovsky is next for the lightweight championship of the world. So it's going to be Islam defending against the current 
featherweight champion in Alexander Volkanovsky. How do you feel like you you view and rate that matchup? Man, I, I still I still feel the same uh, that I felt you know before Islam was even champion and this was being thrown out there as an option. Um, I feel like this is a tough matchup for Volk. Um, he's great. He's he deserves to be the number one pound for pound fighter in the world, but I feel like in this matchup it's going to be really tough for him to um, do what he does. Uh, I feel like he's going to be on the defensive so much when it comes to takedowns, and then of course, just like with Charles, you're worried so much about the takedowns that you that you allow uh, the grappler to you know get comfortable in the striking and not be so uh, tense when it comes to the striking. So I just don't I just don't know how Alex is able to like maybe he doesn't. Like, I, I feel like Volk will, will do good at first. He'll probably stuff some takedowns. Uh, I just don't know how much he's going to be able to keep Islam off of him over time. So, uh, but like I said, Volk is the number one pound for pound guy in the world for a reason. Uh, but I do think he'll be a sizable underdog in this matchup. Uh, but he's the number one pound for pound guy. Uh, maybe he'll, he'll surprise everyone. I just don't see. Um, how he keeps this time off of him for five rounds. It's going to be really tough. Yeah. But if anybody can do it, it's Volk. The, the mindset, the skill the, the skill level, the IQ, I mean, the confidence. Volk, if there's anybody that can do it, it's Volk. But if he dominates Volk, we got a whole different discussion on our hands when it comes to Islam. If you had to guess what the odds would be for that fight, what would your guess be? Um, Volk, I feel like Volk should be the underdog, so I... I think I'm not going to say he's going to be like two sides above underdog. So maybe like a minus or a Volk would be a plus like 250 underdog. I don't even know what that would make Islam as a favorite. But yeah, I'd probably go Volk plus 250. I've seen a lot of guesses on social media. I would have guessed in the neighborhood of Islam minus 500. And most of the stuff I've seen online is anywhere between minus 400 and minus 600. So, yeah, I feel like that's I feel like that's warranted. I that's, mean, that's a massive number. That's I, I feel like most of that is recency bias because yeah. of what he just did to Charles, and then you still have to consider this is Volt coming up uh, a weight class, and then again against a guy who seems like he is just head and shoulders stronger than everyone by a big margin. So it's not like Volk is coming up again in a, into a favorable uh, matchup right. for him. He's coming up into like the best, biggest, baddest guy to where, like, if he gets, if this guy gets a hold of Volk, I mean, we might see Volk get ragdolled in a way that we'll, we've never before seen and we probably never will see again after. Um, Islam's a different breed, man. Like, the uh, the, the guys out of Dagestan and then, of course, uh, Khabib, like, Khabib's dad, like, he said that Islam was his star uh, pupil. So, like, and, you know, people said when he first arrived on the scene that he was better than Khabib. So, like, so far, Islam is checking the boxes. Yeah. Uh, he has to do more. But, like, this is a very, very big ask for Volk. And if he does it, I mean, he's fully deserving of that uh, champ champ status he wants. All right. Now I want you to think about this from a fan perspective in terms of which fight you think would be more competitive because I heard, and, and we're going to kind of bounce around here for a minute, and, and we're going to talk about Dariush 
uh, before we we move to the bantamweights, just so that, you know, since we're already talking about the lightweight division. Um, but I did hear Aljo in the post-fight presser talk about how tough and hard it is for him to make 135 right now, and he kind of hinted that he may not be staying at 135 for much longer. What is a more competitive fight in your mind? Volk versus Aljo at 145 or Volk versus Islam at 155? From a, so from a fan perspective or just from... Yeah, just you as a fan, which fight do you think would be more competitive? Like, not what makes more sense, like, in terms of, you know, who deserves it or, or you know, the business side of it or any of that. Like, not in terms of trying to sell pay-per-views. Like, in terms of just putting your fan hat on and watching a fight, which one is going to be the more competitive, better fight? Aljo versus Volk at featherweight or Volk versus Islam at lightweight? That's a tough one. Because uh, I feel like there's just such sizable gaps in both fights like Volk there's a big gap for Volk against Sterling and there's a gap for Islam against Volk but I um I would have to say that the more competitive fight will probably be uh Volk and Islam uh I I feel like while you know I think the world of Aljo I think you know he's one of my favorite fighters uh to watch but um I just think that Volk is just as fast uh, as a lot of the bantamweights, plus he adds, plus he has size, and he's gonna feel a lot stronger than some like than a TJ Dillashaw or a Peter Yan. So while Aljo's gonna pack on the pounds, like how is he going? How is that going to translate into a a high competitor or a high IQ level, you know, type fight that he would have with Volk? Volk, uh, I'm he's fought at uh, 155 before. Um, he's he's used to being a bigger guy. Like he's he was 200 and however many pounds as a rugby player. So he's used to being heavier, and he's used and he's fought as high as 170 or 185. I forget which one it was, yeah. which one it was, but he's he's used to fighting bigger guys. He's used to this stuff. So um, I do feel like Volk with his IQ, uh, with with everything I just said. Like I think that that fight with Islam. While Islam's going to have a lot of advantages, I do think that Volk is going to make that uh, a very competitive and a very tough out. Okay. I, I like. I think I just. I think so much of Islam, and that just seems like such a giant mountain to climb that I feel like maybe for me the gap is less sizable, although it's still a giant gap. To your point, uh, I feel like the the gap is probably less sizable uh, with from Aljo moving up to face Volk than it is from Volk moving up to face Islam. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And uh, that's your next title fight at lightweight. Um, And look with the featherweight, we're going to get into, you know, what's next for Volk defending his belt at featherweight, especially when we start talking about the main event for this coming weekend's card, but um, skipping over the bantamweight fights, because I want to talk about those two together. But while we're talking about this lightweight division, let's jump into Benil Dariush and Matus Gamrot. Um, this was a great fight, and Benil Dariush reminded everybody once again, uh, if you forgot about him, how good he is, right? Like, the level that we saw from Benil Dariush in this fight, knowing the well-rounded game of Gamrot, was unbelievably impressive. And look, I know that Volk is getting the title shot, but I think in terms of what should happen, who's earned that shot, and what the best possible fight you could make at 155 is, Benil Dariush should be getting that next opportunity, especially given the fact that these two guys were supposed to fight 
and it never took place, and Islam kind of got the fast track without having to go through Benil Dariush. Yeah, man, look, um, I've never I've never questioned how skilled that Benil is. I just thought that the injury was just going to be uh, a lot to come back from, and Gamrot's been active. He, he seems like he just continuously gets better. But I, I'm here to tell you, man, I haven't seen Benil look better than, uh, than last Saturday, man. I, I mean, just everything just seemed like it was on point. Uh, from his defense to his striking, well, of course, his takedown defense was flawless. I mean, every time Gamera tried to take him down, I mean, Benil was just on top of it. And it seemed like um, he was forcing some shots out of, out of Gamera, and Gamera just never really was able to land anything just uh, overly clean on Benil, man. Uh, man, like you said, Benil reminded a lot of people that he deserves to be at the top of this division. Uh, I I was blown away by the performance yeah. because I didn't expect him to not only uh, come back from that injury and look good. He looked better than I've seen him. Uh, I mean, I, I was blown away. Uh, and it made me feel a lot better about a potential Benil and Islam match because I do feel like um, we, while Gamrot is not – Gamrot's not Islam. But a lot of the – a lot of the things that Islam likes to do, I mean, Gamrat kind of showed how Benil would defend those things um, in in that fight. Um, a guy who who is continuously trying to take him down, a guy who is trying to open up uh, himself with the striking and stuff. Benil never got rattled. Uh, he just, he stayed within himself and uh, just had his way with him. And then to to drop him the way he did in, in the third round. That was as clean of a shot that I've seen in a while, man. That that was crazy. Dude, so, the thunder that you heard through the broadcast on yes. that shot was insane. Yes. I mean, out of all the shots that landed that night, I mean, uh, that shot was just as, as clean as you're going to get. How was Gamrod not I, sleeping, I, right? Like, unreal. That just shows how tough Gamrod is. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of other people will be sleeping, <laughs> for sure. Um, but, yeah, uh, Benil looked amazing. He deserves to be at the top of the division. It sucks, though, because, you know, we're talking about Volk right now, which, don't get me wrong, Volk deserves a chance to move up and uh, become champion. Uh, and, of course, he's the number one power, power fighter in the world. Uh, he's, become a, he's become a star over the years. So give him the title, give him the, the title shot. But Benil, man, uh, I think this that was his, what, his eighth or ninth win in a row? I yeah. mean, what else? Like, like he said uh, in his interview, what else does he have to do? And then he didn't really do himself any favors by saying, you know, give me 10 guys. Uh, of course, we know, know that. Of course, we know that Islam and Volk are probably going to fight next. That's probably the the most likely thing that's going to happen. But I mean, if Benil is serious about fighting whoever, man, I think there's a clear matchup out there for him um, for him to take next. Yeah, look, I get the whole Volk thing. Um if if Dariush hadn't won on Saturday or maybe hadn't looked as great in the win as he did, then to me it's it's probably a different argument for Volk ahead of Benil Dariush. And look, from a business standpoint, the Volk decision is the way to go, right? Like you're going to sell more going Islam Volk versus Islam Benil Dariush. But just in terms of like, if we're going to look at it this from the what's the right thing to do perspective, um, the guys won eight in a row. They were supposed to fight in February. It didn't happen. They didn't rebook it, and then Islam got the fast track. Uh, and then, I think on top of it all, Benil Dariush, to me, is the best possible matchup you can give Islam in terms of potentially being able to win the fight, right? On paper, 
there is not another guy, Volk included, and the entire 155 division included, there is not another guy not named Benil Dariush that is a bigger threat to take the belt from Islam than Benil Dariush currently. All the things yeah, that he displayed I against Gamrot, again, Gamrot's not Islam, but all of the things that he displayed against Gamrot translate into being able to to fight Islam tougher than anybody else. Yeah, and I think Islam and Khabib know that as well. Yes, they do. Um, and I think whenever they were scheduled to fight, I mean, normally when when Islam uh, talks to reporters and everything, he kind of dismiss, dismisses people. Like, he dismisses Charles, he dismisses Dustin, but you didn't hear none of that when it came to Darius. It was all about his injury. When it, but, like, they know when it comes to skill set and, and all that stuff, Benil Dariush is a, a very, very sizable threat to everything that Islam does well. Um, he can stuff the takedowns, and then and, and when it comes to striking, we all know that Benil is the better striker. Um, and then, of course, is jiu-jitsu. I mean, yeah. Benil has very, very good jiu-jitsu. We just don't always see it because he he'll engage in a war like like with a uh, Jakar Close. Uh, he can he can be dominant like he was against Tony Ferguson. He can outskill, outpoint people like he did against uh, Gamrot. So I mean, we've seen literally everything from from Dariush, and I know that 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 gives Islam cause cause to pause a little bit and be like, wow, let let me respect everything that that Dariush brings to the table. But as far as, far as Volk, yeah, I think this was just, I think this was an easy matchup for the UFC to make because they're going to Australia, they're going to Volk's hometown. I mean, you want to do it big. I mean, while there's there's some uh, contenders at featherweight, I mean, what better way to bring Volk to his hometown than to give him a lightweight title shot, man? I mean, that's Volk's earned that. He deserves that. Uh, I respect what they're trying to do. And, of course, uh, that, that fight is going to bring more money than uh, Islam and Benil. But in terms of being a hardcore, pure MMA fan that I am and that you are, uh, the matchup that Islam and Benil is, that's as good of a matchup stylistically that, uh, that Islam is going to see as his champion. Yeah, it's the toughest possible matchup you can make. And notice, they they never once tried to to circle back to Benil Dariush after that fight was canceled, right? They probably celebrated that. Like, they avoided the, the worst possible matchup that Islam could have been given, and the path opened up for them to go straight to the top without having to go through the, the toughest opponent to his style that there was. And... I think to to that point, they know what Benil Dariush did on Saturday. They were calling out Volk as soon as the fight was over. Like they don't even they didn't even want to leave the door cracked for Benil Dariush to have the next opportunity, right? Yeah, I mean Khabib has been there and he he's done this. Like he knows. Like you see, you notice Islam didn't say anything about it, right. but once Khabib got the mic, he was like, and then and next we're going to Australia. We're going to fight Volk. Where and then it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's this short? Where's this short guy? So I mean, yeah, you're right. Like they didn't backtrack to this. They didn't be like, oh, you know, there was this guy that I was supposed to fight a few months ago. Like we know where the where the money is. Khabib knows where the money is. Khabib has made a lot of money when he was champion, and he's he's going to be swimming in money for the rest of his life. And now he knows um, the the right way to to build Islam up as a star, and this is the perfect way to do it. You're going to the number one pound for pound fighters. Uh, home country you're going to fight him in his house uh he's the featherweight champion so i mean i think there's so much to to market there's so much uh that you could sell with that fight to where benil i mean if you put if that fight was presented to to you and i we'd be geeked for that it's the better but fight yeah a lot of the 
a lot of the casuals aren't going to know, like, oh, Benil Darius, who was that? People aren't going to pay for so, it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's... I, I'm, I'm really excited to see what's next. I think in terms of Islam, the two toughest matchups right now at 155... Wait, wait, let me... I, I, I want to see right. if I'm on the same wavelength as you, because I think I, I might have the same two. All right, give me your two. Uh, Darius is one, Darius right? is or absolutely one, Darius, uh, yes. All right, I think it's Darius and, and Fazeev. Agreed. Man. <laughs> 100% agree. Dariush is is very much number one, and then I think Fazeev is number two. Fazeev's stand-up is so good, but his takedown defense is also exceptional, right? Yeah, and he's he's so he's so fast, um, faster than a lot of the guys uh, at lightweight. I think that's something that re- that works really well in his favor. Fast with his striking, and then we saw his takedown defense with RDA. Um, RDA was able to get him down, uh, I think, a few times, but I think his the the percentage was was awful. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. I think it's Benil who's got a clear number one, and then uh, I think we have to see more of Rafael Fazeev, but I think he's he's trending in the right yeah. direction for sure. Yeah, I'm not I'm not suggesting that Fazeev would deserve that shot. I'm just saying, in terms of if you asked me right now, if I had to put somebody in the octagon to beat Islam, my first choice is Dariush, and if you told me Dariush is not available. Who's the next guy you're going to put in the octagon against Islam right now if you've got to win this fight? Fazeev is my next option. So, um, again, he's not going to get that opportunity yet, but I think he's the biggest, the next biggest threat to Islam currently uh, in terms of, of stacking this division up. Um, for Benil Dariush, he's not going to get this, this title shot. Um, this is one of those scenarios where maybe it makes sense for a guy to, to wait it out because he's clearly the next guy in line if he wants to wait it out. He doesn't want to be that guy, right? He he said, like, he'll fight however many times it takes. Um, it's got to be Benil Dariush and Charles Oliveira, correct? Yeah, I think that's the that's the easy matchup um, to make. Uh, I think that um, Charles is going to want to fight in Brazil. I think Benil didn't really take much damage, and he's going to want to make up for lost time with all those, uh, with the injury he had to deal with. So I think, uh, yeah, book Oliveira and Benil in um in Brazil, that's a dangerous fight for for Benil. I mean, while Charles didn't look that good against Islam, that's still a very very dangerous guy, uh, and he's always going to be uh, a tough out for whoever wants to fight him. I mean, we can't forget what he did to Gaethje, Chandler, Poirier, Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson. We can't forget that. Um, and I think that Charles and uh, Darius match up very very well. Um, while uh, Benil looked very good on uh, on Saturday, and Charles lost lost the belt and all that stuff. Uh, I think those two uh, in a matchup would um, would be very, very interesting. I think they both, kind of, they both kind of cancel each other out like everywhere. So it would be a very, very interesting fight. I, it would be so much fun to watch from an entertainment standpoint. I think it would be a blockbuster. Um, I actually think Benil matches up better, though, with Islam than Charles. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I agree because I think Benil... I, I like Benil's grappling a little bit better. And then I think that Benil is a little bit more um, calm, relaxed, while Charles is uh, is very chaotic. I think Charles leaves openings for Islam to um, to do stuff, while Benil's gonna, Benil might be so la- laid back that he might force Islam to do something that he's not really wanting, wanting to do. So, um, yeah, I think Benil matches up... Uh, yeah, like we're saying, uh, yeah. Benil matches up better than anybody in that division uh, with Islam. 
All right, the co-main event, Aljamain Sterling defends the bantamweight title against TJ Dillashaw. Um, I don't know how you felt about this, but I thought it should have been stopped way before it did. Uh, just because, like, it, it just got to the point where it's not a fight, right? Like, that was not a fight. Like, I legitimately, after the first round ended, thought, like, screw 10-8. That might be a 10-7. And I think I texted you that, like, 10-7 question mark? I mean, that was so incredibly dominant. I mean, as, as dominant as you can get without actually finishing somebody. And clearly, TJ couldn't defend himself, right? Like, he, he wasn't defending himself. And it just kind of puts everybody in an awkward position where it's like, this guy's just going to get pummeled for 25 minutes or for as long as you allow this to go. There's literally zero threat coming the other way, or there's barely any threat of being able to, to keep Aljo from doing whatever he wants. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, I think the ref was Mark Goddard. I think he was trying to respect TJ. Yeah. You know, TJ told him before the fight, like, hey, my shoulder's probably going to pop out. Like, uh, uh, let me fight through it and then let me just get to the corner and they'll pop it back in place. So, you know, something along those lines happened backstage. So I think Mark Goddard was trying to just uh, respect that. But yeah, I mean, as soon as the shoulder popped out and then uh, Al Joe started kind of raining down punches and everything, that fight should have been stopped. Uh, I didn't care to see it like after. Like, as soon as the takedown happened, it felt like TJ was about to tap. Like, of course, we didn't know, like, what was going on until he went to the corner. And then, we, you know, we saw, his, you know, how bad his shoulder looked. Shoulder was out of socket. Yeah. They popped it back in place. Then he just goes back out there like <laughs> like nothing just happened. But, like, um, at that point, after his shoulder popped out, I had no interest in watching the fight anymore. I was like, yeah, let's just uh, – Aljo, just take him down, land some punches, and let's just get this over with because this is not going to be a competitive fight with how Aljo fights, he's going to continuously take him to the ground. And then like his shoulder, like those positions scrambling and everything, like so much can happen. And then I think his shoulder popped out again in the second round. And I mean, props to TJ for being as tough as he, as he showed. And I, I feel like TJ knew like, um, this division is just going to keep getting better. Um, I'm, I'm going to have a surgery that I'm probably going to be out for a while. So I might lose my spot. Let me hold on to this and let me try to fight. Uh, so probably respect to him for that, but I mean, yeah, we didn't need to see that, man. I mean, yeah, uh, it 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 kind of sucks for Aljo because uh, you know, of course, of how he won the title and then that close fight with Peter Yan, and then now TJ's injured going into the fight. None of these things that's happened are is Aljo's fault. Right. Of course, he's he's kind of laying into it on social media, uh, kind of poking fun at everybody. But none of this stuff is his fault. He's just going out there and he's fighting. It wasn't his fault that he got kneed in the face in the first Peter Yan fight. Uh, it was his fault that he got the the nod in the second fight because of how oh, how good he fought. And it's not his fault that TJ went in the went into the fight with a with a wrecked shoulder. But you know that that becomes the story of the fight right. now. And we're not you know giving props to to Aljo the way we should. But yeah, props to Aljo man for going out there and getting the job done. Second title defense. Um, I'm excited to see what's next for him. There's there's a lot of options out there, but it sucks that we didn't get to see what this fight could have been. Yeah. Uh, but still, respect to Aljo for getting out for going out there, getting the job done, and respect to TJ for at least trying. Um, I'll I'll say this about TJ, and look, I think there are a lot of people that rightfully have strong opinions about him, and I think all of those are warranted. The toughness factor, man. Like I, no matter what you want to have an opinion on TJ Dillashaw about, it, it's totally fair, but. Nobody can say the guy isn't tough, right? Like, good lord. Like, think about the Sanhagen fight, which 
he lost in my book once again, but he took a beating for the entirety of that. Just absolutely took a beating and kept going, kept coming. This fight, like he got absolutely pummeled. And like, how many times have we seen guys get injured and they're they're immediately like, okay, it's over, I'm done. Like he he just wasn't fighting back, but he just held on, right? Like he wasn't going to give up and just took an absolute ass kicking. Uh, the toughness factor for TJ, I think, has to be um, mentioned here. Aljo, I thought, had a good point in his post-fight press conference. He says, obviously, the shoulder wasn't out of place when the fight started. Um, he took him down and landed on that shoulder. So he's like, say what you want about the shoulder and the injury and, and all of that before the fight started. But he's like, I like to think that I caused it to go back out of place because it wasn't out of place when the fight started. And then he also said, like, everybody fights hurt. Like, if, if we knew the extent of the injuries that almost everybody has going into these things, like, nobody would ever get credit for wins, right? Like, so um, it is incredibly bad luck that there's kind of maybe a stigma around Aljo and just the, the way that this title reign has gone from the yawn knee to maybe this Dillashaw win. But um, we talked about this when we made the picks last week. Like, I shoulder or not, I, I thought that was a horrible matchup for TJ. I thought Aljo was going to dominate him anyway. Um, I, that was kind of what I thought was going to happen anyway. And, you know, the shoulder came out and that maybe accelerated the process, but, um, great win for Aljamain Sterling. And, uh, you know, I'm curious to see, he mentioned in the post-fight press conference, how difficult it currently is to get to 135, and maybe he's not going to stick around too much longer, but, um, I don't know, man. I, I'm give Aljo his flowers. Yeah, that's what I think. Uh, give Aljo his flowers. Uh, he deserves it. None of these things that's happened are, are his fault. Uh, but yeah, but to, for TJ to fight with that shoulder going in and out of socket, like I've seen two people like playing basketball. I've seen two people separate their shoulders or shoulders pop out. And the, the screams that you hear from these guys, uh, it's, 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 it sounds, the, the, the screams are just awful. I mean, it, it makes you feel horrible for him. But TJ's going out there and fighting with this. The, the shoulder pops out, and he's yeah. just like, okay, how do I get this? How do I get this shit back in? Like, <laughs> how, do, how do I get this back in so I can continue fighting? Like, for him to even think about that just shows how tough he is. And then you, you hear the stories about TJ, um, how, how much he wants, how much he loves to fight, how much uh, he wants to be a champion. Like, I think there's not many people in the, in the entire sport who, who, who wants to win and who wants to be a champion more than TJ. And I think that's been, uh, a, that's been glaring over the, his last two fights. So, um, it sucks that TJ's had, it's having to deal with this. A lot of people will say that's what you get, but I mean, you don't ever want to see this, um, you know, torn ACL and then, or whatever was wrong with his knee. And then now, you know, his shoulder. So, I mean, he's losing time. Uh, it's going to be tough for him to, to bounce back from this, but, uh, with his work ethic, anything uh, is possible. Maybe. But props to Aljo. Yeah. Uh, before we do the what's next game, uh, let's hit the other bantamweight fight because maybe all of this is somehow intertwined in uh, the division that I was able to once again tweet on Saturday, death taxes and bantamweights. Sean O'Malley gets the decision over Pewter Yawn. This fight was sensational, Will. For 15 minutes, this fight was off the charts. Fantastic, entertaining. Um we kind of talked about, like, this This had the chance stylistically to be a lot of fun. I felt like so many people just dismissed Sean O'Malley in this fight because it was such a giant step up in level of competition. 
but it was stylistically a guy that was going to allow him to fight his kind of fight. Uh, so we got a blockbuster of a fight, clearly fight of the night, uh, absolutely deserved the bonuses. I don't know how you scored it. I had it 30-27 yawn. <laughs> Man, uh, you hear you, you you hear so many different uh, scorecards. Yeah. Um, I thought the third round was really close, and but I was under the impression for sure that Sean O'Malley looked outstanding. He he looks like he deserves to be a top contender. Um, that he's not one of these. He's not a prospect anymore. He's a contender. But I was under the impression that um, Sean O'Malley definitely lost that fight. Um, I watched it again because you like you hear a lot of people say that the first round was clearly O'Malley and the third round was clearly O'Malley. And then you hear people say the first round was close, second round on Jan, third round. You know, I don't know. But on fight day, when I watched that, I, I thought that O'Malley just looked really good. But I thought Jan edged out the first two rounds for sure. And then the third, I thought O'Malley looked really good. I think if there was any round that O'Malley won, it was definitely the third. But, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say it was a robbery, but, you know, it, it's very close to a robbery. If it, yeah. <laughs> it's very it's it's very close, but I just don't want to say it was a, rob, a robbery, but it was very close. We've seen worse. But um, I definitely thought Peter Young won that fight. But as soon as they said split, I knew that Sean O'Malley won. I don't know if you felt the same way, but as soon as they said it's a split decision, yep. I was like, oh, yeah, Sean O'Malley won that for sure. I thought, that, yeah, <laughs> when they said split decision, I was like, oh, man, like generally when it's a split decision like that, it's because they've clearly seen it in a way different light than everybody else watching it. Um, I, I 100% don't believe this is a robbery, although I scored it 30-27. Like I felt like Jan yeah. won the fight. And part of why, like, you feel like Jan wins, the because Jan clearly won round two by such a big margin, right? And then the other two rounds are close. So, like, even if those are, like, like, if we wanted to put percentages on them, right? Like, let's say that those are 51% to 49% rounds. And then you have, like, Jan clearly having a sizable, like, 30 or 40% in the other one, right? Like, that would lead most people over the accumulation of 15 minutes to say Jan clearly won the fight. Like, it's not unreasonable to say O'Malley won the first round. It's not unreasonable to say that O'Malley won the third round. I just don't think he won either one of those, and I scored it 30-27. But, like, I think you can reasonably make an argument that he won either one of those two rounds. It just seems to me very hard to fathom the idea of, like, giving him the benefit of the doubt in both of them. But, like, it was both rounds were close enough to at least make the argument to go either way. So I don't think it was a robbery by any means. But I also don't think that Sean O'Malley won that fight. I think it was one of the rare times where grappling, like grappling was a part of this fight. Jan had a lot of takedowns. Um, and it just seemed like this was one of the rare times where like they really stuck by the script of striking, then grappling, then, you know, yeah. because uh, normally like take the, the Sanhagen and TJ fight, for instance, I think if that fight was scored the way that the O'Malley and Jan fight was scored, then this is that was probably would have been a 50-44 for <laughs> Corey Sanhagen. So, I mean, I understand um, now that the UFC has a lot of options, you know, if Jan would have won, that probably just would have put the division back into a kind of a, a log jam. But, you know, now you just have uh, different options that you could go to. But uh, it just sucks because I, I thought that while uh, O'Malley fought really well, uh, he came up short. And I think even Sean O'Malley thought he came up short because I think out of everyone who was surprised um, 
uh, that Sean O'Malley won, I think he was the most surprised. Hundred percent. I think he knew. I think he knew that you know it was probably close, but like if there's a slightest bit of a chance, like maybe. But then when he when his name when Bruce said his name, it just seemed like he was completely relieved. Like oh my god, I actually won. You know, it wasn't it wasn't something like he was sure. Uh, so yeah, uh, I mean, I think both guys deserve to win. Neither guy deserved to lose, but definitely Peter Jan definitely edged him. Yeah, yeah, it's the weirdest thing where you can say. I scored all three rounds for one guy, um, but it was a close fight, right? And and so maybe the scorecards don't look close, but the two rounds that are up for debate were close rounds. And then this is the other part that I think is tough for some people. When you have two close rounds that you could say are 50-50 rounds, or maybe even slightly in favor of one guy or the other, but not by much of a margin, and then you have one round that is clearly decisively in favor of one guy, it seems hard to fathom that the other guy gets the benefit of both of the close rounds and the one guy that clearly dominated one round doesn't get the benefit of the doubt on either close rounds. That seems hard to, you know, like when you put together the whole picture, it's like, really? How, how's that possible? But yeah, I just, I don't think it was a robbery, but I, I, I very clearly think that Pewter Jan won this fight. And to your point, I was about to bring this up and I'm glad you mentioned it. Sean O'Malley didn't think he won that fight. You know why I know that? Because Sean O'Malley is one of the biggest showman in the entire sport and you know what he didn't do after winning the biggest fight of his career he did the showmanship wasn't there like and and part of this i think is how good he is in this area this is why he separated himself and he's become such a big superstar like he didn't get all like i'm i'm the best out there get like i think he thought he lost that fight and he was measured enough to say let me look at this before i start like making claims that might hurt my star power, right? Because if a lot of people think you lost that fight and you're in there, like, saying a bunch of nonsense, like, that could that could possibly hurt the star power. Like, he is very aware of what he does and how he does it, and he was not going to put himself out on that limb whatsoever. Yeah, I think, um, for one, that fight was a was a barn burner, and, and he, he acknowledged that uh, he went to places that he's never been before. I think... Um, that fight kind of humbled him. And in the moment you have to, um, acknowledge, you know, that you were, you have to be humble after a fight like that. Yeah. You can't go out there and be the, the show them that you are, that you want to be because it wouldn't make any sense. Like th- there's a time and a place for that. And that wasn't that time. And then, and then after that, uh, I think he still wanted to process what the hell just happened. The fact that he had just gotten to a 15 minute war. And then the fact that he actually won, I think he was so, shocked and surprised that he didn't have time to process it. And then he's getting asked these questions. And I think we just got the real authentic Sean O'Malley just being like, Hey, I went to places I've never been before. I have to go back and watch it. You know, (laughs) I I, I just think he was so rattled by what happened that that was the reaction that we got. I think he was more measured than authentic there because if Sean O'Malley knocks out Peter Yawn in the first round, we have Sean O'Malley claiming to be the best bantamweight in the world and demanding a title shot and everything else, right? Like, this is what he's really... He's really good at the showmanship part of this. And in the biggest moment of his career, there was none of that. So, I don't know. I I, I, I do believe, though, that uh, he did not necessarily think that he won that fight at the end or that at least he was aware that it was close enough that it's a bad look to uh, to start proclaiming that you're the best and deserve a title shot because... Any other way that goes with him winning decisively, 
you're getting Sean O'Malley, the showman, in his top form, 100%. All right, now, to make sense of all of the Bantamweight situation, back to Aljo. What's next in your mind for the 135 title? I think, and, okay, let me just say it. I think that since this fight was such was so close, and then the fact that it was a split decision, and a lot of people thought I think that Sean O'Malley lost, um, and while Sean O'Malley's the number one contender now, and then with the way that Aljo beat TJ, I I just don't really see um, an Aljo and Sean O'Malley fight being booked because it it reminds me of uh, Tyron Woodley and Darren Till. I feel like Darren Till got that big win. And they immediately put him in a title fight, and then he just fumbled, and he hasn't been right ever since. He hasn't been right since then. I feel like if the UFC does this, if the UFC books Sterling and O'Malley, I think it would be a lot of Sterling taking him down because you know Jan's not much of a takedown guy, but he was able to get some takedowns. I think Aljo, um, especially with how tall Aljo is, and like they match up pretty well size wise. And then how strong Aljo is, I think that's a bad matchup for Sean O'Malley. So I think that I think the UFC is going to be real cautious with how they book O'Malley next. I don't know if they give him another fight. I don't know if he just waits, but I don't think that's immediately next. I think this is the perfect time to bring back King Cringe and uh, let um, Sterling and Cejudo fight. I, I think this is the perfect time with the with the division kind of being in limbo. I mean, you have. Cheeto, who you could give the title fight to, but you know it was reported that um, there was a offer of him fighting Corey Sanhagen in November that was uh, declined by Sanhagen. So I feel like Cheeto's probably got another one coming, another fight coming. I think O'Malley just fought, um, and I think now um, this is the perfect time. I don't know how long he's been in the USADA pool now, but I think uh, this is the perfect time uh, to bring back Triple C. And uh, and and if I'm Aljo, I mean, I would kind of want to fight Henry Cejudo at this point because Cejudo's almost been out of the game for three years. He's got a big yeah. name. I think it's a f- favorable matchup for uh, for Aljo. Um, so I mean, and legacy wise, you're building your legacy up to be one of the best bantamweights ever. You add Henry Cejudo to that list. That's a that's a great name to add to the list. So if I'm Sterling, give me a triple C. Absolutely. Like you said, he's been off for a long time. I, yeah, I think that, that Aljo would love that fight. Um, I, d- I don't love that fight if it's me playing matchmaker. Um, I also, like you said, I think Aljo, I would have Aljo as a massive favorite over Sean O'Malley. And look, Sean O'Malley's a giant star. Like, I don't think you want to, like, in terms of star power, you have him winning a controversial fight where a lot of people don't think he actually won. And then if he were to lose the title off of a controversial win, like, that really damages the star power, right? So, in my mind, what makes most sense is you run back O'Malley and Yawn in a five-rounder, right, as a main event. Five-rounder, let's, you know, it was a fight, it was fight of the night, it was an incredible fight. Let's run it back over five rounds. And maybe that gives us our next number one contender. I think the most difficult fight that you can make for Aljo right now, and a guy that's also deserving, is Cheeto Vera. Like, in that division, there's not a lot of great matchups for Aljo in terms of, like, feeling... Like, Aljo matches up with everybody really well. Um, if it's not Yawn, like, I think the next toughest opponent is Cheeto Vera. He's obviously earned it. Uh, so give me give me five-rounder for O'Malley Yawn. Give me Vera and Aljo for the title. And let's bring back Cringe 
and give him Marab. Ooh. See, I would look. The UFC would I don't think the UFC would do that. I don't think the UFC would put O'Malley in another fight with Jan. It makes complete sense to me. Like what you're saying. Yeah, no, I don't think they would that do makes, that either. I'm saying that's what would, I would want to happen. They would never <laughs> I mean, that fight was Sean O'Malley by the skin of his teeth won that fight. They're gonna keep Sean yeah. O'Malley far away from Peter Jan. I would love to see that fight uh, go five rounds. But I actually think that it would be more I think it would I think it's gonna be Sanhagen. And uh, Cheeto, Aljo against Cejudo, Jan against Marab, because I think Marab has no intentions of going to fight for the title as long as um, as long as Aljo's champion. And I think Peter Jan is far enough away from the from the title picture right now that this fight makes sense. It doesn't really have much championship implications. Like how close does this get Marab to a title shot? And then uh, am I missing someone? Oh, I would book uh, Cruz against TJ whenever they're both healthy. Yeah, of course. I think, I think, I think Cruz is probably going to want to come back before TJ is healthy. But um, that's got to happen. Yeah, that's got to happen again. And I mean, I don't know how likely this is of happening, but I definitely think that Dominic Cruz should fight Corey Sanhagen before he retires. I think that fight has to happen. I actually like that next for those two guys, and then Dom gets TJ after. And I gave you my scenario on what I would like to see happen. Here's what I think happens. I think it's going to be Aljo Cejudo for the belt. And I think it's going to be Sean O'Malley in a rematch against Cheeto Vera. Yeah, because I didn't say anything about Sean O'Malley. Yeah, I mean... That's what I think is going to happen. Actually, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Because, you know, then you could put Sanhagen against Cruz... You could still do Jan and Marab, yep. and then you do Cheeto and uh, O'Malley. That fight over five rounds. That's a great that's fight, a, and it sells. That's not going to be a. Yeah, that's not going to be a fight night main event. Even though it could be, um, I think that fight's got to be on a pay per view five round co main event or something like that. Um, yeah, I think this is the this is the time to do it. I mean, they're both right there. Who would have thought at UFC uh, two fifty two? When uh, DC and Stipe fought for, in the trilogy and O'Malley and Cheeto was the co-main event, who would have thought that two years later um, these two would be at the top of the division, you know? Yeah. It's crazy, man. Um, but, yeah, that, I think that that's the fight to make next. But does Sean O'Malley take that fight? Who would have thought we were only going to have two title defenses in the heavyweight division since that fight? <laughs> right. Me. Oh, God. Yeah. Division that the... never moves, ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. dude, that division is so much fun, and the matchmaking opportunities, like, you you almost can't fuck that up, right? Like, at, yeah. with those top, like, 8 to 10, and if you're throwing Cejudo in there, obviously, uh, like, you almost can't fuck that up no matter what you do. Like, there's so many great matchmaking options. Like, you could do O'Malley yawn again. The fans would love it. You could do O'Malley Sanhagen. That's a great fight. O'Malley Vera is a great fight. O'Malley in the title, like for a title, is going to sell like crazy because people love Sean O'Malley. Like there are ways that I think you can go about it that are smarter than others, but there's not really a bad way to go. Not at all. Uh, and I think we saw it with uh, this little Grand Prix that they had. I mean, the matchups were outstanding. Marab and Aldo, uh, Cheeto and Dom. Uh, of course, you had Sterling and Dillashaw and then O'Malley and uh, Peter Yan. 
all those matchups were were bangers. We were excited for every single one of them. Yeah. And and same thing with the, with matchups going forward. Now you just like reshuffle the deck a little bit, and you still can't miss. Yeah. So this division, like 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 we've always been saying, lightweight's the best division, and uh, bantamweight's probably next. You know, deepest division. The way is the way in, I call it. I, I saw on the weigh-in show that uh, they were ranking the best divisions, and there was actually, you know, I thought for sure bantamweight, lightweight, one, two, however you want to do it. But I've, I saw like some welterweight up there, middleweight up there. I'm like, okay, what are we doing? <laughs> Clearly, lightweight and bantamweight, however you want to order it, those are the two best divisions in the UFC for sure. There was a time, I mean, what five years ago, maybe, well, that welterweight was probably it. The best division in the UFC? Or at least in the conversation. Like, I feel like it's been a while since I felt like welterweight was one of the best divisions in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, I feel like welterweight is up there now. I mean, I I, I think if there was, um, after bantamweight and, and uh, lightweight, I think it would be a toss-up. No, I'd probably put welterweight third, but I think it's clear third. <laughs> like, it's not even close to bantamweight or uh, lightweight. Yeah, I mean, we just kind of got to this point where, like, you know, Wonder Boy was obviously on the wrong side of his prime. Woodley was on the wrong side of his prime. Damian Maya was on the wrong side of his prime. Uh, then you had Usman as a dominant champ. Uh, there wasn't really a clear-cut next guy. Like, Colby is Colby's there, but, like, who? he's not beating anybody. Like, he's had two really good fights against Usman, but he's not beating anybody uh, in the top ten, right? Like, there was just a—and now, like, Leon— has somewhat like really given that division a lot of juice. But if Leon had not beat Usman, if that kick doesn't land, like this is a division that doesn't have a lot of excitement. And the only reason it does, I think, is because Leon pulled off that upset. But otherwise, like, I think this was a division that was somewhat stagnant for for a while. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. But I will say, as far as like star power, uh, and, and I, th- I do think the fights um, at welterweight have been pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of star power, I think since good old funky Ben Askren came into the picture, I think uh, he kind of elevated. Um, of course, he elevated Masvidal. Yeah. Masvidal elevated Usman. You know, Darren Till was there for a while. Then you had um, Wonder Boy. Uh, Woodley was there. So I feel like in terms of like star quality, there was some some guys there. And then now you got Leon as a champion. Bilal, Gilbert, you know, Sean Brady, yeah. Michael Chiesa, Hamzat Shemaev, of course. So um, maybe. Yeah, it, it it was it was stagnant. Right, right. Maybe it was stagnant for a while. But I think um, <clears throat> as of late, it's grown to be that third. Um, but of course, you got featherweight. Featherweight is pretty deep because we've got like got we've got people in the bottom of the rankings who are undefeated, who don't really get a lot of love. Ilya Teporia, Bryce Mitchell, Evloev, mm-hmm. like all those guys are undefeated. <laughs> and they're like in the 10, 10 and through 15 spot. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I'd put Featherweight ahead of uh, of uh, Welterweight right now. But uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, all, all the divisions right now are as stacked as they've ever been. I mean, it's that's that's the beauty of where the UFC is right now. They've just accumulated so much talent. And there's there's so many more well-rounded guys where it just kind of seemed like it was, you know, very stylistic for a long period of time. And now there's just so many well-rounded guys in every single division that, uh, you know, it's it's just on another level from where it's ever been. All right. The main card of UFC 280 was a decision, unanimous decision win for uh, Firo over Caitlin Chukagian. Yeah, like I said, um, 
these two are pretty much mirror images of each other. I mean, it seemed that way. Um, they were both throwing kicks, different combinations. But at the end of the day, there wasn't much that um, either one did that the other can't do. Um, but um, Furo is the cleaner of the is the cleaner striker. Technique is better, um, and I think um, she she did win those rounds. And then of course um, the, the third round to seal it with that takedown. Um, it definitely showed that um, she's got IQ and that she's adding layers to her game. But yeah, I, clear win for uh, for uh, Furo. Uh, good performance. I think that I, I've called her Firo forever. I think they were saying Fior is the pronunciation on it. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but uh, anyway, I've, I've said Firo forever. And until I'm 100% sure which it is, that's probably the way I'll... I was. I, was I saying Firo, Firo? Or was I saying Fior? I don't know. I don't know either. But I was just throwing I, in because yeah, I, I say Firo, and I think they were saying Fior on the broadcast, but I can't remember 100%. It's one of those things like I don't always have like my full attention on. on uh, the pronunciations bro- yeah uh but <laughs> did she do enough will that's the question did she do enough because we talked about uh, alexa grosso last week and i don't know that either one of them have done enough but did she do enough over chukagian to warrant being next if they're going to stay within that division for valentina okay let me say this she did she did do enough alexa grosso did enough it, both both of those ladies are one call out away from getting a title shot but I think both of them understand that while they could get a title shot, they need they need to do some more. Like they they need more fights yeah. uh, to get before they fight Valentina. Because the same thing about with uh, with Darren Till, you don't want to get that title shot too early because if you you'll get that title shot and then you won't get it again. You have to um, maximize your opportunity when it comes. While they could get the the opportunity, I think they both understand that. Um, they need more main event experience, five round experience. Uh, they just need more, you know, more high level experience before they go in there with the such a high level fighter in Valentina. I mean, Kaitlyn Trukagan is as good as it's going to get, um, but for Fura, I think that um, she understands I need a, a five round. I don't think she's been in a five round fight yet, so she understands she needs a, a five rounder in the UFC. And then Grasso, while she did just beat Viv- uh, Viviani Arujo over five rounds, I think she understands that the skill level of Valentina is just very high. So they both understand that they need to do uh, have some more fights. I think the perfect thing to do is to put those two against each other. And then for Valentina, you either let her go up and fight Amanda or you just do the Santos rematch. Yeah. Moving on, the feature prelim in the welterweight division. Uh, this was one that that was absolutely good enough to be on the main card. I mean, this was good enough to be a a main event. Um, it is Bilal Muhammad over Sean Brady. I thought that Sean Brady was going to be much better on the ground than Bilal. I thought Bilal would be much better in the stand-up than Sean Brady. Um, I picked Sean Brady because I thought this fight would get to the mat. It never got there, I think, because Bilal knew... He didn't want to go to the mat. He knew he had a big advantage on the feet. I also thought that the the exchanges where Sean Brady was having success, I think part of that was because Bilal didn't want to get taken down, but ultimately his stand-up and pressure were way too much and a punctuation win for Bilal Muhammad. Yeah, I mean, um, I thought that this fight, I thought that the grappling uh, was going to cancel each other out. Of course, Bilal had the striking advantage, but the thing that I took most comfort in was uh, Bilal's gas tank. Um, and then with his pressure, um, 
that pressure is suffocating. I mean, I remember when uh, one of the first fights that I really paid attention to Bilal was when he fought Diego Lima and just how um, suffocating his pressure was. Never let never let up. And he ended up finishing Lima, I believe. But, um, yeah, with, with this fight, I think I could just tell, you know, Sean Brady wasn't used to being on the retreat as much as he was uh, with Bilal in his face. And, um, you know, Bilal had a lot of sloppy moments. I think if Brady was a, a cleaner striker, he might have been able to counter Bilal and knock him out. But um, uh, Bilal's pressure, just staying on him, getting him tired, and then eventually landing that blow uh, that uh, stumbled Sean Brady. And then, you know, for him to realize that and then to go for the kill, uh, props to Bilal, man. He looked he looked outstanding, like I said. Um, the, the His gas tank, I took a lot of uh, confidence in because I remember watching Bilal or uh, Sean Brady against Kiesa and I kind of thought that he was wilting there towards the end. And I thought that um, with Bilal, he was probably going to have some some trouble with that. I thought that this fight was going to hit the ground at some point, but um, I wasn't aware of that Bilal's takedown defense was that high. His takedown defense is at like 92%. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. So, um, yeah, props to Bilal, man. It was a pretty pretty remarkable performance to to beat someone who was undefeated, who a lot of people were high on. Um, and, you know, he's he's fighting down. I thought that he should have been fighting a top five guy. I think there's no way you can deny the guy now. He's got to be fighting one of these top five guys next for sure. Yeah, it's a very interesting situation with him because I think he might be in a similar position as like Benil Dariush where he probably deserves more than he's actually going to get but he doesn't have as big a name as the, the top-tier guys in this division, right? And stylistically, maybe he's not as uh, exciting as some of the other names at the top of this division, but he's absolutely earned the opportunity. And I, I don't know I, I, I don't know where they're going to go with this. Like, I, I feel like generally I have a pretty good sense of what I think they might do. Um, if I had to guess, Gilbert Burns doesn't have a fight, does he? Uh, they're saying that um, potentially... He's going to fight in Brazil, and all signs are pointing towards it being Masvidal. But I really don't think that um, that fight's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen either. If I had to <laughs> guess, Gilbert Burns and Bilal would be the next fight that they make. Um, I know he's gonna he wants Leon, right? Especially after the eye poke situation. I I think that he's way down the list in who they would give Leon, win or lose. Um, he's going to want Shemaev and Colby, and I, I, I don't think they're going to give him any of those guys. I still think, unfortunately, again, this is similar to the Benil thing, Darius deserves a title shot. He's not going to get one. Bilal probably deserves more than he's going to get, but I think, the, I think the best he would get is Gilbert Burns. I don't see them giving him any one of Edwards, Usman, Covington, or Shemaev. Since we're on the subject of the division, did you see the, um, the news? Uh, maybe. Which news? The... Um, Hamzat Kobe fight looking like it's going to uh, be made official here soon. I I saw that that's been rumored, but I hadn't seen that it was nearing becoming official. Yeah, I, I think the 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 post that I saw was that Kobe Covington has finally been located, and that <laughs> things are moving in the right direction. They've taken him out of, of uh, protective custody. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and that things are moving in the right direction of Colby Covington fighting Hamzat in March, I believe, in a five-round main event. I mean, in a five-round co-main event. Co-main event, yeah. So, um, to lead into the Leon Usman trilogy. Right. Which led to Bilal um, responding and saying, 
where's Kobe even been? Like Kobe hasn't said anything. Yeah. Like he's the guy that's going to be like, I want to fight all these guys. Um, but the UFC is going to be like, well, we want to see what happens with Kobe first. So we want to see what happens with Gilbert and Masvidal first. He's always going to be that guy that gets left out. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but I think that's just the reality of, of where he is uh, in comparison to the other names. And, you know, that's where the business side of this sometimes uh, is very tricky. Um, I, I love the Bilal Colby fight. Like, I love that fight. Those two match up so well. Man. Both guys have incredible so- gas tank. Both guys have incredible pressure. Both guys can grapple. Um, Bilal, I think, probably is the better striker. Um, I think Colby's the better grappler, but the, the margins aren't significant at all. Yeah, I, I actually think I think I would give the striking nod to to uh, Covington. Would you? Okay. Um, yeah, I think um, just the the pace. I think it all just goes together. I, I think that Bilal, while he's been getting better with his striking, I, I don't think he'd be able to keep the pace that that Covington would be able to keep with with the striking. So uh, maybe Bilal has more pop behind his shots, but I think that um, volume and yeah. arsenal wise, uh, I definitely think it's Colby Covington. I, it's a great fight, though. I I, I mean, the in terms of 1, matching 000%. up, the, again, I think the margins in every area are just very slim. And, I, like, I don't know who I'd pick, honestly. Like, I feel like that's that's almost a coin flip to me. I feel like that's a lot of these Colby Covington matchups with these top guys. Uh, Hamzat, um, um, Leon, uh, Bilal, I Gilbert. Hamzat wipes him out. I, 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 I think the same thing. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I mean... I, you know, since we're on this subject, since you said that, there's so many people that's been saying Kobe's pressure, Kobe this, Kobe that, and Kobe's going to be the toughest matchup for Hamzat. Ever since they started th- talking about that matchup for that ABC card, I've always said, I think Hamzat beats him like he beats Lee Jingleon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think, I think Hamzat's so a like, minus 600 favorite. And he should be. Because I, I just don't see where Kobe is wins. I don't see where he wins. His only chance of winning that fight is if it goes the distance and it's it's just a gas tank thing. But he might be down by so much that part's irrelevant, right? Like that's I I don't. Yeah, he he, he doesn't have the pop in his shots like Gilbert. No, he's he not. He's he not surviving it. Yeah, he doesn't have the jujitsu of Gilbert, so he's not going to beat Hamza with pace with grappling. It's just. <laughs> There, there's just no safe spot for Kobe Covington in this fight. His his best bet is to try to make this, like you said, go deep into deep waters. But it is, I just don't see it lasting that long. Yeah, I would love to see Bilal Colby Covington though. I think that's a a really close fight and a, a really fun fight. Um, speaking of Hamzat, did you see the altercation with Abubakar Nurmagomedov as uh, Islam Mahashev was being named the lightweight champion of the world? I didn't see it, um, but I heard all about it. Like I'm like, what the heck? Why is Hamzat always getting into fights? Like, what the heck's going on? Just search um, Hamzat UFC 280. There's plenty of plenty of people with cell phone videos where he Hamzat and and Abubakar. Is that how you say it? I believe so. I, I think anyway, uh, Khabib's brother, uh, where they're like <laughs> they're shaking hands and talking, and then all of a sudden, like Hamzat pushes him, and it's a a skirmish. Like part of me kind of thinks this is like somewhat showmanship again to kind of you know it's it's that sort of thing but i don't know 
Yeah, I, that's not the that's not the crew to mess with, Hamzat. <laughs> that is not the crew to mess with. Well, that's why some people think this was premeditated because nobody does anything to him, right? They roll like fifty deep, and he's pushing yeah. Khabib's brother, and like nobody, like it. What happened in the Connor fight? Oh gosh, the entire group is like everywhere, right? Yeah, okay, mayhem. Like Hamzat <laughs> pushes Khabib's brother, and nobody does anything. And like a couple security guys come grab Hamzat, and that's like the end of it. Like, yeah, uh, you, yeah, you're definitely right. Because if that had been most other people, that would have been a swarm. <laughs> yeah, there's like a swarm of Russians on. All it. of a sudden, like 150 Dagestanis, like <laughs> it's like a dog pile, right? <laughs> like, where's yeah, Hamzat? I don't know. There's like 50 Dagestani wrestlers on top of him, Sambo Con- machines. Poor Connor, man. I'm never going to forget <laughs> seeing him in the cage and them dudes just came and rushed. <laughs> oh, man. What, what oh, chaos that was. That's what fear that looks crazy. like, my friend. That is what fear yeah. looks like. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, for the sake of time, um, just quick thoughts on on the rest of the card. Uh, I thought Uzdemir was very close to finishing Krylov, but uh, Krylov was able to to rally and, and turn that fight around. Um Mokayev, I want to get your thoughts. I don't know if you were going to mention him, but give me your thoughts on Mokayev as well. It kind of like it seemed like the broadcast crew was very high on him at the beginning, and then as the fight went on and not a lot was happening, they were kind of like going the other direction. Like this kid needs to prove something, and and uh, then out of nowhere, like the fight ends and he gets the submission, and then they kind of had to like do a one eighty and come back on him. But uh, uh, Mokayev is a guy that we've talked about as maybe being a, a contender in that flyweight division at some point. Yeah, I just think his performance wasn't what um, he had been bringing out his first few fights. It kind of seemed like he was um, content with getting a decision and just doing just enough where um, we in previous fights, we had seen him way more aggressive. But it seemed like Malcolm Gordon wanted this fight a little bit more than him. And he was taking the fight to him, putting him in really bad positions and everything. But um, I think that... uh, Makayev underestimated him as he admitted after the fight. Yeah. And then um, he was like, all right, let me, you know, end this on a, on a great note. Even though this, it, he would have won the decision, um, I don't think it would have looked good, the the all-around performance. But he kind of wipes that clean with, with the finish. So while we're going to remember, yeah, you know, you didn't look that good. You, know, you underestimated him and everything. Malcolm Gordon was looking good on you. Um, he did get the finish. So that kind of wipes it, wipes it clean a little bit. All right, before we make picks for Saturday night's fight card, Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen. Well, big news today. And I, I, this probably isn't news, but uh, there was a newsworthy item, I guess, is the better way to say it. Your boy, John Jones, has spoken. And he says that he is aiming to fight Stipe Miocic on the final pay-per-view of 2022 UFC 282 in December. See, I don't know how to feel about this because Saturday they released a little bit of the card and they said it was Prohaska versus Teixeira too. Like that's the headliner. Then after you, after I saw you sent me that and after I read it, I see the press, the USC released a, a press release that said that Prohaska and Glover is the main event. So I don't really know what to believe anymore. Like is John Jones actually fighting? Like what's... What's exactly going on here? Um, you, we haven't heard a peep from Stipe. Uh, I think Dana said in an interview that he's kind of hoping that this fight happens in the spring. I think 
John saying that he wants this fight to happen in December is kind of the only thing that's giving me a little bit of hope. But I think right now it's not looking promising because I don't like Stipe that I really don't think that guy wants to fight anymore. So um, and and now we're it's about to be November the 1st. And that fight doesn't really seem like it has much traction. We're like six so, weeks away from that fight. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. That seems far fetched to me. Yeah, I mean, while I would love to get excited and everything, with with their history, <laughs> it's, it yeah. doesn't look promising. So, John Jones tweeted five hours ago, quote, I'm preparing to fight Stipe December 10th in Las Vegas. Not really sure what's going on between Stipe and the UFC, but I'm ready to compete. I'm going to control what I can and stay in shape. Um, like, the UFC maybe doubling down with the Prohaska to share a thing. I mean, part of why I think John hasn't fought in so long, some of this is negotiation, right? Like, I feel like there's a lot of stubbornness on both sides, and both sides are playing chess at this point in terms of the negotiations. Um, I, I did see Chael Sonnen, again, take this for what it's worth, tweet about an hour ago, there's no chance this fight's happening in December, at least. Um, <laughs> and, you know, a lot of that is like, Stipe, there's no way Stipe is going to accept a fight and then be ready in like that amount of time. Um, it's just, it would be completely outside of Stipe's entire track record, right? To accept a fight, like even if he were to accept it today, for him to accept a fight to be ready by that point. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much of, of this has any traction whatsoever. I guess other than the fact that there had been rumors, like we had talked about a couple weeks ago about this maybe taking place in December, but, um, John Jones hadn't fought in forever. Stipe hasn't fought in forever. On top of the fact that they can't ever seem to agree on the financial aspect of any of this. Like, to think that a John Jones fight is going to come together quickly when, like, money alone has been such a giant obstacle seems very far-fetched to me. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I think that the John Jones and Francis fight is very, very far fetched. I think the 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 closest that we'll get to see John Jones to fighting at heavyweight is going to be against Stipe. If that fight isn't happening, I don't like. I think the no, the negotiations will come back into into effect. And um, but in terms of John and Stipe, I, I just don't see a John a, a Stipe like you said. Stipe is not going to want this fight to happen in six weeks. He's going to need some time. And John, I think John will love it because I think John's been training. Um, and it's a favorable matchup in, for him. Yeah. I've always said John Jones is going to fight Stipe over Francis. So, like, by the time March comes, Francis will probably be healthy. I don't see Francis fighting John Jones. I think it would be more likely that Francis fights Stipe. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we need to do something with this John Jones and Stipe situation because this division, it's getting really good and we need to do something at the top of this division. Uh, we can't keep, uh, like we just saw a heavyweight war with Cyril Gan and, uh, tied to Ivasa. Um, and we've got guys coming up. We've got Aspinall, we've got Sergey Pavlovich, we've got all these guys, but yet we're still harping on John Jones and Stipe. Like we've got to do something with this fight or just fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree, man. All right, let's make some picks. UFC Fight Night, Calvin Cater, Arnold Allen is your main event. But this main card starts in the light heavyweight division. This is a fun fight. It is Dustin Jacoby and Khalil Roundtree. 
Oddshark.com has Dustin Jacoby as the minus 168 favorite, plus 137 for Roundtree. This is a great fight. This fight could be could end at any moment. I think that Jacoby's been so good. He's he's so skilled as a striker. But Roundtree's that is that yeah. the 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 leg kicks, the head kicks, the punches, everything's just just thrown with like dangerous intentions. Um but I mean while he's looked good in his last few fights, um over his career he's been inconsistent. I think this is one of those fights where uh Jacoby just kind of styles not styles on him, but I think Khalil's gonna be swinging big, stalking him and everything. And I think Jacoby's gonna kind of be picking at him a little bit because he uh he's such a skilled uh, kickboxer. Um, so I think I'm just going to go with the safe bet and go with, uh, Jacoby. This is a fun one because we've seen, I feel like with Khalil Roundtree, like it feels like he's kind of taken another step in terms of like the urgency in which he fights, right? Like there feels like there's a purpose there and there's a lot of bad intentions with everything he throws. And I, zero part of me would be shocked if this fight was over in 15 seconds with Khalil Roundtree getting his hand raised, right? Like, that's kind of just the the feeling that you get with where he currently is, and the guy is incredibly dangerous. Um, to your point about consistency, that's all we've seen from, from Dustin Jacoby is consistency. He's the bigger guy here, the longer guy. He's got the reach advantage, and he, you know, he uses his kicks so well that, you know, maybe that prevents Khalil Roundtree from just rushing in and, and being able to land that big shot. Um, so it's going to be Dustin Jacoby for me as well to start off this fight card. Fight number two on the main card takes us to the middleweight division. It is uh, Treshawn Gore versus Josh Fremd. Oddshark.com has... There it is. Josh Fremd as the minus 175 favorite, plus 145 for Treshawn Gore. Man, I I expected a lot more out of Trey Gore, man. Uh, he just hasn't uh, looked that good in the UFC. Uh, I think part of it, um, he he did get injured right before the that finale. He didn't get to fight in the finale. Then against Brian Battle, he looked like he gassed out, and then he got uh, he got clipped by um, whoever he fought last. I forget the kid's name, but um, Trey Gorman's got he's got potential, man. I just it, it just doesn't seem like he's been able to put it together. And I remember um, Josh Fremd. In his last fight, uh, competed really well against Anthony Hernandez, but ultimately ultimately lost uh, a decision. So, uh, and he's got a he's got a height and reach advantage on Trey Gore. While Gore might be the more powerful guy, I feel like he's going to struggle against Fremd, and he might get clipped again. So. Uh, I hope you, I hope Trey Gore wins, but uh, I gotta see I gotta see something from him. But my pick is gonna be Josh Fremd. Same for me. I thought you were gonna go Trey Gore, by the way. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's more experience on that side. He's I think he's got like a four or five inch um, height advantage. I think a couple inches in the reach. Um, you add the the experience level there. Um, 
Yeah. And, and Trey Gore, like, I don't know. There's some, I can't quite put my finger on it. There's something there where I just feel like there's so much potential and there's something that's waiting to be unleashed, but he's not found like the right combination to unlock it. You know what I mean? Like right. it kind of seems like he is searching for what that combination is to, to let out whatever the, the upside uh, is with him. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like there, there's definitely a, a big upside, but um, it's, it's, I don't feel like he's close to tapping into that yet, uh, but we'll see. Josh framed for me also. All right, fight number three on the main card takes us to the heavyweight division. It is Waldo Cortez Acosta, I believe making his UFC debut, versus Jared Vandera. Oddshark.com has Cortez Acosta as the minus 225 favorite, plus 178 for Jared Vandera. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't really know too much about this Waldo character. Um, do you know anything about this Waldo character? I know that he had a lot of hype coming from LFA and that he won his contender series fight in uh, the finishing fashion earlier this year. But beyond the contender series fight, I've never seen him fight. Okay. 7-0 um, in his pro career. Now... Jared Vandera is a uh, is a vet, tough out, but uh, just you know, kind of glancing over um, Waldo Cortez Acosta's um, topology. Um, six foot four, seventy inch, seventy eight inch reach. It seems like um, he's got all of the makings of a special type of um, heavyweight. Now I haven't seen him. But uh, he's a former I'm boxer, by the way. Really? Okay. Okay. I haven't seen him, and normally in these situations, I would go with the more experienced guy, especially if I haven't, if I hadn't seen the guy fight. But um, give me the uh, give me the undefeated guy. Let's see what's up. All right, I like it. Um, this guy has obviously knockout power. He's very skilled in the stand up. I, I think you know if Jared Vandera can get him down, I don't know what this guy has on the ground if he has anything. I mean, again, he's a former boxer. Um, he's not super experienced, so I, you know, I don't know what his ground game looks like at all. But I'm going to bank on the fact that it doesn't get there, and I'm going to bank on the fact that uh, he's going to land the big shot that that ultimately gives him the win. So it is going to be Waldo Cortez Acosta for me as well in the heavyweight division. All right, the co-main event takes place in the welterweight division. It is Tim Means versus Max Griffin. Griffin is the minus one eighty five favorite, plus one fifty for Tim Means. I think this is going to be a good scrap. Um, both guys bring it. Um, you're going to be in a in a fight, a dog fight, whenever you fight either one of these guys. Um, but it, it's it's a little weird for me because it's it's kind of unusual for for these two types of fighters to fight each other. Um, and there is a reason why it's a co-main event because you know it's a banger, but it's just it's just weird that you see these two types of fighters fight each other. Um, man, ah, uh, this one's close. You know, part of me just wants to go opposite, but I I kind of want to make a, a educated pick um, and really make it make a decision. Um, I think, I, I think that Max Griffin's performance against Neil Magny 
how he really took the fight to him and almost won that decision. Neil Magny is one of the best, um, one of the best guys in the division. Uh, and, t- and Tim Means is just—he's always a tough out, but he kind of seems to come up short against the um, against the the top guys in the division, like like a Kevin Holland, for instance. So uh, let me go ahead and get Max Griffin in a banger of a fight. Yeah, this is a tough one, and this one just feels like like a fight, right? Like it just—this one right. feels like it's just going to be a fight. Um, both these guys have a world of experience. Uh, Tim Means is 38. Max Griffin is 36. I mean, a ton of octagon time for both guys. I feel like Max Griffin, like his ceiling and skill level is probably higher. I feel like Tim Means is probably a, has maybe a little bit more just scrappy dog and maybe well-roundedness in him. Um, yeah, this one, this one's tough, man. This one to me feels very much like a coin flip. Uh, where I could just flip a coin and whichever side it landed on, I would be totally okay. Um, I- I'll say, as I as you started talking, I was maybe like fifty point one percent in favor of Tim Means. Uh, so you going Max Griffin absolutely helps that. I- I'll go Tim Means in this co-main event, but uh, this one, this one is uh, this one's tight, man. I feel like this is going to be a really good fight, and uh, wouldn't shock me at all if this is the the fight of the night. Which takes us to the main event of the evening in the featherweight division. Uh, this one has a lot on the line as well. This potentially could deliver Alexander Volkanovsky's next title challenger in the featherweight division. It is Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen in the main event. Oddshark.com. You ready for these odds? Calvin sure. Cater at <clears throat> my... Oh, you want to guess? No, go ahead. Calvin Cater at minus 115... Arnold Allen at minus 105. Pick him. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I probably, if I had to guess, I probably just would have went minus 110, minus 110, because this is as close of a fight that you're going to find. Um, and when you break it down, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of it says to me that this is just going to be a war. Uh, Calvin Cater is known for wars these days. Arnold Allen uh, has proven that he can outpoint you or he can be in a war, uh, whichever one. So uh, this is, uh, I don't know if this is going to be a high-level chess match or if this is just going to be a scrap. Um, That's kind of where I feel like if this is a high-level chess match, it favors Arnold Allen. If this is just going to be a scrap, I think it favors Calvin Cater. But what type of fight, who who dictates what happens in this fight? Uh, I don't really see this going to the ground. I think if it does go to the ground, it's going to be Arnold Allen initiating that. But um, more, I, I think that this fight is going to be on the feet for most of it. Um, I think Calvin Cater's five-round experience is going to play a factor, especially with the way he lost that Emmett fight. Uh, I thought he won that fight. Uh, even today after rewatching it, uh, I think Calvin Cater won that fight. Uh, and I think he's going to know what to do, uh, to steal rounds. Um, but Arnold Allen is so good. He's so talented. It's hard to pick against him. Jeez. And, you know, knocking out Dan Hooker is, while that's good, it's a Dan Hooker who's coming down from lightweight and 
depleting himself. And then Calvin Cater is coming off that loss to Josh Emmett. I mean, uh, this one's really tough, man. It is tough. Oh man, give me uh, give me Arnold Allen. All right, I like it. I think that yeah, give me Arnold. I, Allen. I can I'm talk not, myself into either one of these guys. Like seriously, I could I could absolutely make a case and talk myself into taking either side of this fight. That's why the odds are where they are, right? Like I think there's uh, there's things on both sides to like, and and maybe there's things to doubt on both sides. Um, Calvin Cater obviously has the five round experience. Um, we've not seen that from Arnold Allen. Calvin Cater has also accumulated a lot of damage. We've not seen that from Arnold Allen. Calvin Cater has had to fight in a bunch of adversity. We've not seen that from Arnold Allen, right? Like, I, I, there's there's a whole bunch of, of different angles that I, I feel like I can look at this from. Um, I think, ultimately, Calvin Cater has shown high level against more high-level dudes for me than Arnold Allen. Uh, but... Again, I think you you could easily make a case for either guy. Um, we've seen Calvin, like I said, maybe face adversity more, um, and we've seen him perform at a high level against more high-level guys, but Arnold Allen is so dangerous here. I think he absolutely has the power advantage in this this matchup. Um, Cater, I feel like Cater's precision, though, is probably, for me, on, on another level. So I'm curious to see, like you said, is this a chess match or does it become... A uh, a brawl, and I'm not I'm not sure like necessarily which which way I favor that. Um, may, I, maybe I'm the opposite of you. Maybe I favor Arnold Allen more in a brawl, and I favor Calvin Cater more uh, in a chess match. But um, this is this is a very fun fight. This is great matchmaking. This is the type of fight that absolutely could generate the next title challenger at 145. But like I said at the beginning of this. I feel like I've just seen Calvin Cater face more adversity and I've seen seen Calvin Cater face higher level competition and look good facing high level competition. That's not a knock against Arnold Allen because we just haven't seen him face as, as many of those guys yet. So it's just more of an unknown, I guess, than a negative. So um, there's just a more known quantity for me and Calvin Cater in this fight. But great matchmaking. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I think Volk said it the other night, like this is a huge opportunity for both guys to to maybe put a stamp on the number one contender spot at Featherweight. Yeah, I mean, normally I feel like you you always have your pick kind of ready. I feel like you kind of changed your pick up a little bit a few times while you were giving your breakdown. That's how close this fight is. I mean, n- minus one fifteen, minus one oh five, minus one ten, minus one ten. That's uh, that's a pick 'em. Yeah, and that's where this fight is. That's how close these guys are. Yeah. Um, like 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 you said, you, you can talk yourself into liking either one of these guys. It's it's all warranted. That's how close this matchup is. That's how good these guys are. Uh, Calvin Cater's got the experience. Arnold Allen probably has a, a little bit more talent. Uh, he's younger, I believe. Um, so, I mean, over five rounds. We haven't seen uh, Allen fight five rounds. So, I mean, we'll see how he does if this fight goes, um, goes late. Uh, we've seen Calvin Cater fight Max Holloway and get his ass whooped for, uh, for five rounds. Uh, we've seen him whoop Giga Chikatse's ass for five rounds, and we've seen him in a chess match over five rounds with Emmett. So Calvin Cater's been around the block, so yeah, uh, we'll see, man. It's it's a really, really good fight. For the record, I had Cater over Emmett as well, and I think most people did, right? I feel like 
I remember right, going back to that fight, I feel like most of the MMA community thought that, that Cater had won that fight. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely had it. Uh, I think I even had it. It was either 3-2 or 4-1, but I definitely thought for sure that yeah. Calvin Cater won. I was shocked to see that Josh Emmett won. Yeah. I, one thing that is encouraging, I guess, on the Cater side of this is if you can survive Emmett's power, like I think Arnold Allen has more power than Cater in this matchup, but if you can survive Josh Emmett's power, I think you could make a case that you can survive Arnold Allen's power as well. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that I think that kind of bit Calvin Cater in the butt last time. I think he was, rightfully so, respecting Josh Emmett's power a little too much, um, and he wasn't like throwing his shots with the yeah. uh, putting everything into his shots like he should have or like he could have. Uh, I think he was respecting Josh Emmett's power too much, and maybe uh, the judges saw that as a negative. Uh, but like I remember after the fight, Josh Emmett's face looked him way worse than <laughs> than yes. Calvin Cater's face um but yeah I think a fight like that with the rounds being so close um I think that's a very good learning experience and then with Arnold Allen not having that type of experience uh that's why I said Calvin Cater's probably going to be able to steal some rounds because he's been through so many five round fights up to this point that he'll know like how to get to, on the judge's good side where Arnold Allen's just going to be out there fighting so it's this card, and then we have uh, the Limosh Marina Rodriguez uh, main event card a week from this Saturday, and then we have UFC 281, which is another blockbuster, uh, before we get to the final pay-per-view of the year, which is UFC 282, Prohaska Teixeira 2. By the way, uh. the uh, that fight card lineup right now on Tapology is Prohaska Teixeira, Komain, Jan Blahovich, Magomed Ankalaev, Ponzinibbio, Robbie Lawler on the main card, Gustafson, OSP on the main card, and then Patty Pimblett, Jared Gordon on the main card. Um, some big names on the prelim. Uh, Edmund Shabazian's on the prelim. Billy Q and Alex Hernandez at 145. Uh, Darren Till and Drickus Duplessis on the prelim, which is, I guess, probably the not quite the equivalent, but close to like the Bilal-Sean Brady situation. That fight absolutely deserves um, main card pay-per-view type of buzz. Rosenstrike, Chris Dacus is on this one. Chris Curtis, Joaquin Buckley could be absolute fireworks. And I don't know if you saw this fight just made. Bryce Mitchell, Ilya Teporia uh, currently on the prelims. And that is as good a fight as you can make in the featherweight division, top to bottom. So, Yeah, man. I mean, me personally, I would love if there was like another title fight added to this or if they could make John Jones and Sebae fight on this card. But... If that's not uh, if that's not in the cards, this is still an outstanding card. A lot uh, a lot to love. Patty Pimblett, big superstar. Bryce Mitchell, Ilya Teporia. I mean, who knows? We might see Ilya Teporia, Patty Pimblett fight somewhere uh, in Las Vegas <laughs> or something because, <laughs> I mean, those two are probably destined to fight at some point. Uh, but yeah, Bryce Mitchell, Ilya Teporia is is as good of a matchup as you're gonna get. Um, Billy Q. Alex Hernandez has got banger written all over it. Chris Curtis, Joaquin Buckley's got banger written all over it. Darren Till, Drakus Duplessis, uh, that's going to be a striking battle. Um, hopefully Darren Till makes it to the fight. Let's knock on wood. Um, uh, Robbie Lawler, Santiago Pantanibio's got banger written all over it. Um, I, I, I know you're pulling heavily for, for uh, Magomed Akalaev uh, to beat Jan Blahovich and to get the title shot at 205. Uh, so that's going to be a big one to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, why do you think i'm anti-magomed <laughs> look I, I i think 
I think we're both on the same page with with Mago Man. I yeah. think uh, he didn't earn any fans with his last um, uh, appearance yeah. in the Octagon. Yeah, and I, I don't think either of us have been necessarily sold on him. And I think this fight is one that absolutely had to be made. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. He's on he's on the cusp for sure, but he's the way he was talking after he beat Anthony Smith. I mean, I hope Jan Blahovich lands one right on the chin. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, all in all, man, this is an outstanding fight card. Like I said, I wish John Jones would be on this card. And actually, Talia Santos uh, called out Valentina for UFC 282. So we'll see if that uh, has any, uh, if anything happens with that. Uh, Bo Nickel was supposed to be on this card, but he got injured, unfortunately. But yeah, 281 is going to be epic. 282 is going to be epic. But I wanted to ask you one thing. Take yourself back to Monday... Fight week of 280. Okay. Are, are you there? Yep. And you remember how excited that you were about oh, 280, right? Yeah. Okay. Compared to your excitement level of 281, which do you think you'll be, you are more excited about? I mean, I know you know what happens in 280 now, but be, just taking yourself back to, to before uh, 280 happened to now, uh, we're almost on the cusp of 281, which are you more excited about? Uh, this is an easy one for me, but also somewhat conflicting, if that makes sense, because I'll tell you why the card 280 for sure, 280 for sure. Dustin Poirier though is on 281. So like that, like ups it for me just in terms of like personal fandom. Um, but yeah, I would say 280 on, on the Monday of 280, more excited about 280 than I think looking ahead to 281. Um, and by the way, speaking of that, I, I saw a tweet. I, I, I forgot who it was from, but somebody said on Twitter, a fight card with Israel Adesanya and Carla Esparza as the main event and co-main event. This is going to be a blockbuster. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. Now, in fairness to Izzy, <laughs> at, at, at least. I know. In fairness to Izzy, at least. Pajeda is not going to let him point fight. Hell no. No. That's going to be that's going to be fun. It's either going to be fun or we could possibly see a Francis Derek Lewis type match where neither of them do anything. I'm hoping that doesn't happen. But even if that happens though, I don't think it's going to be boring. Like because there's going to be so much tension that we may like they might both be very reserved, but I don't think anybody's going to be bored. I think there's going to be so much tension, kind of like the the Izzy Jan Blahovich fight where yeah, there weren't a lot of fireworks in that fight, but the tension knowing what could happen if either ever unleashed was so great that that fight was thrilling to watch live. Like, it's not one you'd want to watch in the aftermath, but live, I feel like the tension is going to be there whether they're throwing or not. So there's no way that'll be a boring fight in my mind. Yeah, I'm with you. And then, now Carla Esparza, <laughs> I think the, the Carla Rose fight, I think that was just an outlier a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whaley's not going to allow Carla to do what... That's, she's not going to allow it to happen. Neither opponent is going to allow those two to be bored. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, Because if they are, no they'll, they'll get finished. They're, yeah, exactly. There's no way. Whaley is coming to hurt Carla as far as in to get that belt That's back. Right. 1,000%. Right. After what she did to Ioana. But it was <laughs> a great mean, joke, right? It was a great joke oh, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely great joke. But I'm just like, man, yeah. there's no way. I'm just trying to get that thought out of my head. Because it it, it, it could be possible after the after their previous fights. Yeah. But, I mean, either Poirier Chandler... Is going to be oh. so good. Okay, Such so let me let me ask you this. I asked you. No, I'm, I'll save that question. I'll save. Okay. That. I'll save that question. Yeah. 
All right, man. Um, glad we finally got to hash out UFC 280, make some picks for this weekend. Uh, just a couple weeks away from this massive card as well, UFC 281. But uh, the UFC finishing in style uh, for another incredible year of 2022 with um, a few, a couple of monster pay-per-views ahead to close out this year. All right, buddy. Have a good week, and we will catch up again next week. Podcast is over.